Thanks for listening to Shift Your Spirits. I'm Slade Robertson. For 12 years, I've been a professional intuitive and personal development blogger. I try to talk about spirituality with fewer hearts and flowers than most New Age blather. I also mentor emerging intuitives, psychics, and healers in a program called Automatic Intuition. It is Sunday, August 26, 2018, as I record this introduction. This is the final episode of Summer 2018, the end of six seasons of Shift Your Spirits and a break in the series of interviews we've had over the last several weeks. If you're listening along in real time, next week will be our hiatus. We skip a week so Linda and I can catch our breaths. But today I have a nice long solo episode for you about losing the joy for my writing and a breakthrough in healing issues around creativity, self-esteem, and perfectionism which I think you'll be able to relate to. As always, there's an oracle segment at the end of the show, so be thinking about a question or a concern you have. Hold it in your mind, and I'll come back on after the final links and credits and leave you with that extra channeled message. In personal news, this week's update on my 50 new things before 50, I just completed a 30-day push-up challenge. This is a triumph because a year ago, when my trainer offered this challenge, My shoulder was injured, healing really slowly, arthritis had set in. There was no way I could perform hundreds and hundreds of push-ups day after day. But then last winter, I discovered turmeric, and that has been life-changing. I'm not a medical professional here, just talking about my personal experience taking a natural food supplement. It's just a spice, but... My shoulder is 100% better, 100% mobility, 100% pain-free. I may even be better than that because the turmeric has probably affected inflammation throughout my body. Anyway, with scheduled rest days and considering my regular classes and routines along in with that, I've worked out 27 days out of 30. And there was a hidden benefit. For months now, I've been experiencing low back pain especially when running or walking uphill, and I thought it was my hamstrings being too tight. I thought it was working out with too much weight. I thought it might just be my age. But after 20 straight days in a row doing push-ups and other plank exercises, no back pain. So guess what? It's my abs that are weak. Um, Push-ups are not as much about arms and chest as they are about your core. So yes, my push-up form is now perfection, but I will be concentrating on core strength going forward just to maintain the health of my lower back. The other big item I'm counting in my 50 new things before 50, I've started a Facebook community. 20 years ago, I worked in a corporate retail job. I managed um, an old Navy where I had 115 employees when I had a regular employee roster. I also interviewed people regionally uh, for new stores. I'm pretty sure I interviewed people in the thousands when I worked there. And one of the things that they used to track for managers and headhunters were retention rates. And I had really, really unusually high retention rates, which they would always ask me about. Like there was some kind of secret thing I might be doing that everyone else could do uh, to hire people who actually stayed. And of course, now I know it was my intuition. I'm good at reading people, but not just like 
reading them for the truth, but reading them about who they are as people and how they might interact with the other people that that worked in the store and where would be the best place to put them. There's a, In a store that size, there were, back then, when brick-and-mortar retail stores were really hopping, um, there were a lot of different departments and areas that people could work in, and some of them didn't suit some people's personalities. Others um, were really well-suited to certain tasks. And you know what? A lot of the managers who worked there just fill out the, the um, floor chart and just put bodies wherever there was an open spot and they really didn't think about it very much. I went to a lot of trouble to um, you know, hire people and also place people in areas where I thought they would really enjoy being with other people on staff and they could for, for, you know, form friendships and it would be, you know, a nice working environment that they looked forward to, quote unquote, you know, being in the fitting room with one of their girlfriends or, you know, being on register um, with someone that they liked to talk to when it was slow and they were folding T-shirts, you know, that kind of stuff, Um, kind of stuff that managers don't care about, (laughs) but I really cared about it. And I prided myself on interviewing people, creating teams, delegating certain kinds of tasks to people that um, suited their strengths, and you know, just generally putting people together that click. And a lot of the people that I'm talking about were in high school. Some of them were in college, but a lot of high school students. And over the years through social media, many of them have found me again and showed me how long some of those connections have lasted. There's a lot of friendships for sure, people who are still connected that um, met working there, but there are also a few marriages. There are at least three marriages who have personally, officially named me as responsible for their having met um, through that job, which I humbly accept the trophy for, for that match making um we can count four maybe five babies now that have resulted so like there's actually people in the world that i have helped um bring through with my interviewing skills at my retail job um but you know in current terms um the people who are still around in my life from that world uh sometimes you might hear me talking about the middle school writing class that i go and speak to every year and that is taught by uh christy baker um who is now a grown woman with a husband and children of her own and but at the time she was a high school student you know when she worked for me um the woman who cuts my hair has um I've been doing my hair for 12 years. Uh, she um, worked uh, at my store while she was in beauty school, getting her license. And um, woman, the w- one of the women who is a real ongoing motivator for me in my fitness classes, which I talk about a lot, um, was a key holder. Uh, she was a high school student. I thought she was super smart and and really responsible. And even though she was really young, um, we gave her a lot of responsibility around money. And I have to say, she went on to become an accountant. <laughs> um, and uh, her name's Laura, and she is one of the reasons that I felt really welcomed into the fitness community that I belong to. And uh, she was kind of my anchor person there. She's also a great motivator and she always pushes me to do uh, a little bit more than I might normally think that I can do. Uh, So it's weird. Um, 
at the time, I thought that job was such a terrible detour in my life, you know, that I was really in the wrong stream as far as life purpose goes. Of course, looking back, I do think it was my intuition that gave me an edge in finding people, interviewing, hiring, making teams, creating a community for the employees, and just generally managing a lot of people and their lives and their concerns. And um, some of the other managers would say, why do they always do whatever you ask them to? And I'd say, because, you know, like... I keep up with who they are as real people. I understand the importance when you're a 16-year-old girl of getting off on a Friday night because some guy you've been obsessing over for two weeks um, finally asked you out. You know, like, these are big, big, serious things, and um, and I treated them that way, and I think that that was part of the mix for sure. Um, anyway... Uh, I got to exercise a lot of the skills that I feel like I confidently use now. So if you are, especially if you're younger, but if you're at any point in your life where you feel like you're doing some job that just makes you think, why the hell am I here? Um, It might make sense later on down the road. You may look back and realize that you were gathering some specific tools wherever it is that you are and that you will be using them in a really cool context in the future. In the early days of Shift Your Spirits becoming a full-time business, I was so happy not to be directly responsible for anyone anymore. Um, You know, I always used to tell myself I'm not managing a large group anymore. It's just me. And the thing is, it's really not just me. Uh, From the moment people started subscribing to my blog and following and emailing me questions of topics to write about and asking me to do readings or mentor them... It's been about a large and always growing group of people, and you're one of them. It's this audience, and we're an eclectic tribe of magical thinkers, spiritual practitioners, and creative misfits. We're lantern bearers. We're nodes in a network of awakening souls that spans the whole globe. And I'm not really sure that you manage an audience in the same way that you might manage a team But I like to think that there is um, some arc, overarching story to to my meandering path to get here. The original intention of my first Facebook group, which I started for the Automatic Intuition community, was just to give people a place where they could connect to find trusted, vetted people to do um, practice readings with. And this grew over time in a really unexpected way. I just thought, oh, you know, um, instead of emailing people lists of names and connecting them through email, I'll just put them all in this Facebook group and then they can post when they need to do readings and um, there will be a little synchronicity involved to people finding themselves. Um, It really surprised me over the years as more and more people became a part of the community and they started to interact and get to know one another and have conversations in the group and it really became my favorite place to be on Facebook and the energy is so great in there we're really proud of it and I wanted and we all wanted everyone in the, in the community wanted to see if we could do this on a bigger scale and so um my other 50 new things before 50 is starting this new shift your spirits discussion group for the podcast. And you know what? This will probably become something unexpected too. 
When you're creating something or bringing something through that you've seen a glimpse of and, and it might be part of your purpose, it's just a clue, just follow that next step, whatever nudge you get. You don't have to know exactly where it's going to end up. This whole journey for me started with an impulse to put a few posts on a blog about how I believed in spirit guides. And one of my mentors recently told me if I wanted to take my platform to the next level to host something, if you don't know what to make or how to market a business online or how to put yourself out there in the world, just host something. That's how you can make something that is bigger than you. Every one of you magnifies my thoughts. What was once private diary scribblings is now an international community of people who believe this world and this life is magic and want to make it better in thousands of different ways. And I always feel like I'm leading a toast here at an invisible party or a party where everyone is wearing masks and only I know who they are. And with the launch of this new Shift Your Spirits podcast group on Facebook, Faces are emerging and people are starting to talk to one another in front of me. All these magical people I know all over the world are now connecting and there's no telling what might come of that. Friendships, love, collaborations, movements. It's not just about me anymore and how I tried to survive being broken and partially paralyzed. It's about you. So thank you for blessing me with this amazing job. The new Shift Your Spirits podcast discussion group has been soft launched on Facebook. The automatic intuition folks have been in there helping me set things up. We're adding people to the group. It will remain a closed group where you have to be approved and no one but those in the group will be able to see our conversations. But we will start sharing the link with all the new episodes in the fall season um, starting here around September 11th, 2018. So depending on when you're listening to this, if you're dying to get in there early and meet everyone who is connected through this podcast, just send me a message and let me know. We can put you in there early. Before I forget, I do want to say a quick thank you to my newest supporters on Patreon, Jeffrey Peck, who is supporting at the mastery level. Um, thank you, Jeff. I appreciate all of you who pledge your support. It demonstrates that you're enjoying the show and want it to continue. That's very encouraging to me, so thank you. Listeners who support the show on Patreon can access a guided meditation called Messages from Your Spirit Guides, exclusive bonus episodes, and there's also a mastery level of support where you can download one of my courses for free each month. To find out how you can become a patron, support my time in producing this show, and access all the extra bonus content, please go to patreon.com slash shift your spirits. There are a lot of you listening to this who I personally really wanted to tell this story to, like not as an episode, but just in my life. It's actually easier just to make it a podcast episode and, and tell the story at once. Um, I've texted a few people. I've called a few people over the last week. I called Seth and made him listen to me talk about it for an hour and a half. And then I went to text my friend Jeff last night to catch him up on what had been going on with me. And I thought, oh God, this is just all too much for texting. And for some reason, it feels 
more self-indulgent to keep calling people individually and gushing about my creative breakthroughs and my angst and, and all that kind of stuff. It just seems to be more appropriate to actually do a personal podcast episode, which you can fast forward or choose not to listen to. So for those of you who are choosing to listen to this, um, you're my friends too, and you have expressed interest in my personal episodes and me sharing things from my personal life, uh, actual issues that I'm dealing with. It humanizes the whole thing, right? And it, it reminds you that I am not a guru sitting up here uh, with a bunch of wisdom about all this stuff. I am someone who is playing with all these tools and all this language and observing and trying to share a part of my process as a way of motivating you and bringing you along with me. So this all goes back to all that solar eclipse madness we had in 2017. So at the time that I'm recording this, it is towards the end of August 2018. If you're listening for the future and you need some time context there. Um, But back to the big eclipse in 2017 at the end of the summer. It was about a year ago. And the bookends for all the eclipse stuff that was going on last year, it was about the sign of Leo and the opposite sign of Leo, which is Aquarius. So there is this thematic dynamic Um, And there were sort of two questions that the eclipses were bringing up for you. And the fact that I am a Leo and Jeff, incidentally, who I wanted to tell this story to, is a Leo as well. And so one of the reasons why I felt so exhausted in trying to catch him up on this in text messages, we've been having this conversation for well over a year about both of us and and how we've been going through this, not to mention, you know, all the clients and um, people I do readings for where we've had conversations about this. So this is just my personal experience with all this stuff. And for but for all of us, there was a theme or there is a theme with these solar eclipses that we've been through and all this retrograde stuff with an eclipse is kind of like, oh, by the way, here's like a bonus lesson for you just to make sure you got that all worked out. Um, The Leo is really asking us, how are you a star? Like, what's your light? What do you have to give the world? And the Aquarius is about who's receiving that light who's observing it, who can see it, who is impacted by it. I didn't make this up, by the way. Um, I heard something uh, Seth Godin was talking about on his podcast, Akimbo, and I'll, I'll try to find the exact episode and link to it. But if you want to check out Akimbo, I think it was one of the first three episodes that he did for that whole podcast. But he had an episode about making things for the weirdos. So this is the thing I didn't make up. For the edge, not the middle. Um, You know, the idea of what makes something super popular, what makes something mainstream, things were not created for the mainstream. They aren't created for the middle. If you create something that's going to appeal to everyone, you're going to reinvent the color beige. You're going to reconstitute oatmeal. Um... The way in which things become popular and 
mainstream is that they are picked up by the weirdos, by the fringes, by the tastemakers and the hipsters and the people who are on the edge, the lantern bearers who are out in the woods um, guiding uh, the lost back to the light, back to civilization. It's found on the edge in the margins. And so, you know, people who are early adopters of things that end up being very popular and cool are very proud of themselves for discovering something and appreciate something that is new and difficult and hard to categorize and that not everyone gets. And if you've ever had those friends who always want to be the one who finds the new band before anyone else and who always wants to listen to something that everyone else finds off-putting or read something that's really difficult and it's part of their kind of ego pride that they are able to go places the rest of us can't go or go there first, right? Uh, They discover things and then they pass it to us. So the way that that life cycle works for things that become popular, that are loved by a lot of people, they start with the weirdos. So if you're trying to make something cool, according to Seth's, um, Seth Godin's concept or theory, you start out by making things for the weirdos. Go for the fringe. Be be weird um, because that's where it gets picked up and that's where you're going to create something original. So with that in mind, it's it's been on my mind and it's a theme that plays in to this episode and this personal story. So I have two author friends, Kim and Brandon. Brandon I talk about a lot more on the show because he's a science fiction author. Um, he does a lot of research on the topics that that we're interested in. You know, the ascension of humanity and um, the psychic information from the collective, ancient civilizations. He works a lot of this stuff into his books. And so uh, he ends up coming up up on the show sometimes because our conversations overlap. And Kim um, is someone who also listens to the show. Incidentally, it's really kind of cool because I went to this writer's conference. It was called the Bestseller Summit, uh, I, I think, two years ago in Nashville. And I first gravitated the very first night to Brandon And uh, before I left there, I had met Kim and and discovered that she was another one of these people that I'd gone to college with but didn't know while I was at college. Um, Susan Hyatt was one of those people as well. And I feel like they're special because uh, we were just destined to find each other at some point. And it's interesting that those are the two people that I brought away from that experience. Usually when I go to any conference... I pick up one major soul family member at least. And that's one of the things that I look forward to whenever I travel, especially if it's work-related or or has a project at its center. And Kim and Brandon, incidentally, I was telling people about my idea for this uh, podcast as a content marketing strategy at that conference. And I was talking about just the sort of basic concept for it. And it's interesting that the two people that I connected with and became friends with there are also very much listeners of this show. Like they genuinely listen to the show um, the way all of you do who are fans of of this content and this topic. So um, that's how we met. 
Um, and I have an ongoing relationship with both of them. Uh, Brandon is very much a, a sort of coach to me and uh, someone that I look up to and admire for his productivity and his work ethic. Kim is my I call her my author therapist. Uh, she's the person who talks me off the ledge and who I call when I really need to be vulnerable about uh, being a fiction author. Listen, guys, fiction authors, we are a neurotic bunch of cats, okay? We um, are tortured. And I know that sounds really ridiculous to say, but you just have to assume that I'm telling you about some part of my life that you don't see as much as this part. There's this other place where I'm this angsty artist and um, I'm not the only one. We're all that way for some reason. So anyway, uh, we do require a lot of emotional support and it's a little bit crazy because we get really, really worked up and and really sometimes depressed and neurotic and all kinds of um, negative energy that we have to work through in dealing with things that are entirely imaginary. So if you were to be a fly on the wall listening to us talk and you weren't an author, I always think, God, people would think we are nuts. But anyway, there you have it. It's a little bit of a curse and a calling. We f- we do not feel that it's something that we necessarily chose. We f- we feel that it's something that we have to do. Um, you know, it was ordained by the creative life force and intelligence in the universe. So it's a struggle. So um, something that really happened for me this year that came to a head was. You may have seen me before posting word counts on my projects as I'm working on them. Uh, I do NaNoWriMo sometimes in November every year, National Novel Writing Month. And that's something that we do as we post our word counts daily to motivate each other and to hold ourselves accountable. And it's something that author friends, especially on social media, do in a lot of groups and communities. And so... My friend Brandon was posting about how he was raising his word counts. Um, Brandon is, has been on a trajectory for a couple of years of producing a lot of work really quickly. He's writing serialized science fiction and releasing a lot of books per year. And there's an entire community of authors who work this way, and he's trying to learn some of those skills and apply them to increase his own productivity. And so he's posting about, you know, how he's getting higher and higher in his daily word counts. And I remember a point at which he posted something about being up to like 5,000 words a day. And I was comparing myself to that on a day when I literally had a word count on my novel of like 400 words. <laughs> and I, it took me like an hour and a half to produce those 400 words. And just to give you a, a, an idea, I usually write for a two-hour session, and I'd like to get somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 words. So my fiction goal per day really is a lowball thousand words a day. So here's Brandon writing about uh, 5,000 words a day, which of course he's comparing himself to people who are writing 10 and 12. Um, But I compared myself to that and I just really got down in the dumps about it and felt like I was just crawling towards my goals and um, got really in my head about it. So 
first red flag here is um, comparing yourself to others, right? I love the quote, comparison is the thief of joy. I think that is mostly attributed to Theodore Roosevelt, uh, but it's one of my mantras uh, and that this time, unfortunately, wasn't enough to get me out of this ditch that I got into with my writing over the course of the last year or so. So I was telling my other author friend, Kim, about this. I was talking about, oh my God, Brandon's doing so great. I'm so happy for him. But I am, you know, comparing myself to him and feeling like just such a loser. And, um, you know, I was telling her, I'm just slowing down more and more. I'm barely getting 500 words of fiction written per day. And Kim's listening to me, and she's such a wonderful, sweet soul, and she holds space so well for these, you know, hair-pulling sessions of mine. And she just asked me a really simple question. She said, well, what about your nonfiction? And I was stumped for a moment. And I thought, oh my God, I don't even, I don't even count nonfiction anymore. I've been writing nonfiction professionally for every day for over a decade, for like 13 years or something like that, if, if we get really technical. Um, you know, I do email readings, notes for phone readings, channeling, automatic writing sessions for the readings that I do. I do posts in my automatic intuition community. I answer email questions. I answer questions on Quora and Facebook. And I write scripts for guided meditations. I write scripts for these podcasts. I write show notes before the shows as an outline. And then I write show notes after the shows to uh, create the the blog posts and the metadata for this podcast. Um, I write the introduction segments pretty much word for word, the way that I perform them, uh, the outros and the um, channeled messages, the oracle segment. I write blog posts. I've written thousands of blog posts at this point. I don't even really know exactly how big my archive is. I write email newsletters. I've been doing that for you know, 15 years. Um, I write transcripts sometimes, uh, tutorials. I write classes on the various topics that I speak about intuition and connecting with your guides and the money shift, all that kind of stuff. Um, I wrote a workbook for my mentoring clients for the automatic intuition professional community. And that's basically like a textbook. Um, Every day I write morning pages, and then sometimes I write afternoon morning pages, but they're not morning pages anymore. They're associative writing exercises. They're brainstorming. So as I'm going, like all of that stuff flashed through my head when she asked, what about your nonfiction? What's the word count for that? And I thought, oh my God, I can't even, I can't even put a number on that. But as we were conversing, I was just sort of, kind of grabbing handfuls of of those things in my mind. And I was thinking, wow, yeah, I write five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand words a day sometimes. Um, There's probably very few days of the week where I don't at least write a thousand or two. 
whether I'm working on my novels or not. And so it was so crazy. I was like, hold on a minute. That's all writing that I'm not counting. I'm not counting it. I'm not giving myself credit for it. I don't write it down. I don't log it. I don't track it. I don't beat myself up about it. I also don't lift myself up with it or give myself any credit for it whatsoever. That's really messed up, (laughs) y'all. That's crazy that I'm doing that. I'm sitting here almost in tears because I wrote a piddly 400 words on my novel and completely discounting the other five, six, seven thousand words that I wrote that day. And I'm walking around telling myself, I'm not prolific, I'm not productive, I'm such a loser, I'm crawling, I produce hardly any work, I'm only working two hours a day. None of that is accurate. It's such a loud, ego-programmed radio station and I've got it on full blast to the and I and I've become so accustomed to it that I'm not even aware that it's playing. And it was like when Kim asked me that question, well, what's the word count for all your nonfiction? It was like somebody just pulled the plug on the radio and it was completely quiet. And I realized, holy shit, how is it that I'm doing that to myself? You know, maybe we all need to write down everything we do in a day and post it so that other people can give us feedback about it. Because here's the truth, you guys. We are terrible judges of our own worth. We're terrible at valuing ourselves and what we accomplish and what we do and what we contribute to other people and what we put out there and what we're good at awful like take us off the panel we are not allowed to judge ourselves we're just completely incapable of doing it we really do need feedback constructive compassionate feedback from other people to even get anywhere close to accurate and all kim did was ask me a really good question you know just a really compassionate logical obvious question from where she was standing that's all it took so I'm kind of thinking, if, if, if this is ringing any bells for you, maybe you need to do an exercise where you literally just make a huge list of everything that you do in a day. Everything you do. Oprah also got in my head a little bit, y'all, during this whole scenario. It was back when um, Wrinkle in Time came out. She was on Van Jones with the creator and director of that movie and they were being interviewed and she said something about how she believes that there is the purpose that you choose for yourself in life and then there's the purpose that life chooses for you and I started thinking about that and contemplating that and I thought okay well maybe my life purpose that life has chosen for me is what I do for you guys, what you're listening to right now. Um, All the stuff that I do, quote-unquote, on my nonfiction side, um, that's kind of the purpose that was given to me. I feel drafted 
into being a professional intuitive and talking about all this stuff. Like it, it was just supposed to be a writing project and it's turned into um, being a teacher and a speaker and a counselor and, you know, all, all the stuff that you know me for. Right. And so I thought, well, maybe the purpose that I choose for myself is being a fiction author, being a novelist. That's something that I've wanted to do since I was a really little kid. Right. I mean, I never, ever, ever have strayed from that compass point, from that North Star. And then I flashed back on an interview that I did with Lori Ferentz last year. And I believe it was on Lori Ferentz's show, not on my show. I was being interviewed for Leaders Call to Adventure. And she referred to me as prolific. She used that word. And I was like, what? Like, I was really embarrassed. I was like, you know, in my mind, making cutting motions to her. Like, no, don't say that. I'm not prolific. Like, don't say that to me. Um, and so when all that stuff came tumbling out with Kim's question, what's your word count for your nonfiction? I thought, oh, okay. That's what Lori was talking about. That's what she was looking at. That's what made her think of the word prolific. And I was like, no, no you can't. Mm -mm, please don't put that word on me. Uh, I don't deserve that word. Stephen King is prolific, you know. Um, I, I thought of the word prolific as being what you produce on the finished end of things that, you know, everyone can see and buy on Amazon and that you're super famous for. And that's the only thing I would count as prolific. Again, the only thing that I'd give you credit for if you use that word. Another thing that comes up for me, uh, especially last year, right after the eclipse, um, was what would Tori do? So Tori Amos exists for me as a kind of creative archetype. Like she's like a patron saint to me of creativity. And how she got there is... One of the things, those of us who are obsessed with Tori and love her, one of the things that we love about her is that she invites us into this private, interior, creative landscape with an entire cosmology and, and a language of, of her own archetypes and symbols to the point where it's super amazingly immersed in, in her kind of crazy in a way. And, um, and we love it. You know, it has absolutely no relationship whatsoever to anything that's going on in popular music necessarily. Um, sometimes some of her songs stray over and become, you know, there's been a few, but, um, that's not her audience. Her audience is this super passionate, um, group of people who feel really personal connected to her and invited into her diaries, right? And um, this is someone who also knew what she wanted to be and, and who she wanted to be from childhood. She was a prodigy pianist at, you know, the age of two or something insane like that and went to a music conservatory and was playing professionally and recording by the time she was 11 years old. And everyone knew that Tori would always be a musician, you know, like in a major big way. 
And she spent, you know, a lot of her early life, her teen years and and her early 20s, trying to figure out what that looked like for her. And her story, her trajectory as an artist is the reason why she uh, operates as an archetype in my kind of worldview and why I compare myself to her um, as a source of inspiration is because... You know, she got kicked out of classical musical school pretty much and and rejected from that classical world because she was too much of a a freak and an artist. And and then when she tried to kind of do the, you know, L.A. music scene, get a record deal, you know, get a big label behind you and and make you a star kind of thing, uh, she got really chewed up by that part of the industry and they they put her in this ridiculous sort of styling and tried to sort of give her a sound that was sort of heavy metalish because that was like what was going on in the late 80s and she ended up looking like a ridiculous extra in a white snake video and she did this album under the name Why Can't Tori Read and it was a joke and it was an absolute flop and it it's um it's just, you know, it was just a huge disaster. And uh, she experienced a personal trauma in her life. She was raped around that time. And she just dropped everything and just fled and went away. And as the, you know, story goes, she rented a piano and just quietly on her own in her own headspace wrote the song Silent All These Years. And so that was a moment of just sort of claiming like, and if you listen to the song, it it, it is that message of just sort of letting everything go and tuning everything out and realizing that you have been suppressing your own voice and just allowing your own voice to come through, right? It's just a basic throat chakra anthem, of um, self-expression and and claiming your voice. Um, And for women in particular and for women in music, it it represented a game changer. Because like Seth Godin said, um, when Tori just went and created her weird little music that was straight from her heart, we all devoured it and loved it and attached to it. And there wasn't a place for her in the music industry. And so she created a new one we the fans created a new space for these sort of 90s era women singer songwriters and and there's so many artists that that came after her that had that kind of um intimacy especially in their lyrics and, and their personal themes and all that who would owe a debt of gratitude for her and and would own it in a second that that she was an influence so that's how I got into thinking last year when the solar eclipse thing was going on long story short I was writing a book last year that was um, a sequel to a book that I've already written. And I had gotten so in my head with everyone telling me, you have to write a sequel, you have to write in serials, you can't market um, writing a whole bunch of individual books, 
you've got to, um, you know, write one thing and then write book two and three and four and five. And before you move on to something else, you're never going to make any money. You're never going to build an audience. People won't um, be interested in standalone books if you keep writing them. People won't be interested in books that have children as main characters. Of course, along came Stranger Things and, and reminded us that that's bullshit. Some of the other things that I was putting on myself was, you know, this idea that I had to write in a certain voice that was a little bit more palatable, that I tried to um, make myself fit into a genre more neatly so it would be easier to market. Um, And I just really backed myself into a corner, yet I felt like I didn't have anywhere else to go. And so I was working on this book all last year, asking myself the question, okay, this is my light. Who am I shining it for? And thinking, well, I'm shining it for the, these people who bought that other book. And so I've got to be beholden to them somehow and write a sequel. And um, I got to the point where I worked for 11 months on this book. And, you know, I was nowhere near finished with it. And it wasn't even a long book. I mean, I was like, you know, 150 pages into this book that I felt like was going to take me another two years to write. And I was slowing down in my word counts. They were dropping from a thousand words a day down to 500 and 400 and 300. And then I was losing my seven days a week momentum and dropping down to five days a week and then finding reasons for it to only be three. And then at the time that I call Kim in a panic, I was writing twice a week and that two hour session was getting eaten up and turned into an hour and I was writing 300 words and oh shit, I'm never going to finish this book and I hate it. And the reason why I can't write it is because it's not connected to my heart. And so I just, you know, prolific, that's not prolific. So all of that made me really start to wonder, well, where else am I not giving myself credit? You know, the, in my automatic intuition mentoring program and in that community, one pattern that I notice in all of us is that we focus on the one technique that we can't do, right? At the expense of owning the techniques that produce tons of information for us. We all do this. I can't see auras. I can't see auras. Meanwhile, you can do mediumship and bring through someone's relative that's crossed over. Who cares if you can't read auras? (laughs) You're a medium. That's amazing. You know, but we all do this. And so to make this episode about you as well as me, I want you to ask, you know, where in your life are you doing this? Where are you discounting your own success? your own productivity, your own creativity? Where are you suppressing it and just sweeping it under the rug and acting like you suck when you don't? I do a fitness class that's very similar to CrossFit. It's called Circuit Breaker, and we do it on Saturday mornings. And um, recently, we were doing this workout in Um, honor of what we call the Fallen Five in Chattanooga. A few years ago, we had a domestic terrorism event in Chattanooga where uh, a young guy went and shot up a naval recruiting center and um, killed five people here in um, 
Chattanooga, Tennessee, where I live, which is really surreal if you've lived in one of the cities that's been the focus on the news of, you know, one of these terrorism events, one of these school shootings, all that kind of madness. Um, It's almost like it's taking place somewhere else because you're watching it on TV and it's like that doesn't even feel like it could be here. That's a whole other story in it for another time. But anyway, we do a um, workout to honor those guys every year on the anniversary of when they were killed. And if you know anything about CrossFit and the CrossFit community, a lot of the workouts of the day um, for CrossFit are made and named after and in honor of people who've been killed in the line of duty, like active service people in the military, firefighters, police officers officers, um, they often have these workouts created for them. So my trainer, Lisa Blevins, uh, wanted to make this workout for the Fallen Five the official circuit breaker. not well, it is the official circuit breaker workout, but she wanted to get it um, accepted or adopted as the workout of the day for the CrossFit community at, at large um, to honor these people. And so we're outside, we're doing this workout and it's, it's really rough. It's grueling. And of course, one of the reasons why you associate these things with those who, who aren't there anymore is because we can do these workouts. We're here and and alive and physically able to do them. Um, and so that's, you know, what you're thinking as you're suffering um, through the process and thinking, oh my God, what have I gotten myself into? But you do it because you can and because you're alive and you have a body that works. And so there's a group of us that we're outside. We're trying to like huddle up under the little bit of shade uh, that's out there where we work out and we're complaining, you know, huffing and puffing through the whole thing. And I think there were like five rounds in the workout and I got halfway through like the fourth going into the fifth somewhere. I don't know. I was like four out of five, um, but I didn't finish. I knew I wasn't remotely going to finish and uh, there were a bunch of us that didn't, that we we literally couldn't complete it. And um, we were kind of complaining and bitching and moaning, which it, to my credit, I always tell people is part of the way that I process um, my, my pain when I'm working out. Um, and it depends on who I'm hanging out with. So uh, me and a couple of my friends who do tend to complain a little bit more, we happen to all be in our 40s, by the way. And we're out there, you know, doing this workout and talking about how much we suck because we didn't finish. You know, it was like an hour and a half of, you know, tire flipping in the sun and, you know, running 500 meters every, you know, time the whistle blows and all this kind of stuff. So, um, and it hit me as we were talking, I said, you know, look around. What's crazy is there are literally only 24 people here today. Out of all the thousands of people within driving distance of this class in our city, in our surrounding community, we're the ones here doing it. Us. Just us. No one else. So, you know what? Even 80% of a kick-ass workout like that is pretty amazing. We're in a ridiculously small percentile. I don't even know how many point zeros you have to go to to get to us. But there we were in that moment talking about how much we sucked when we were 
just a, a tiny handful of people who had accomplished something that no one else had. And so it's a shift in perspective, right? Shift your spirits. The skew, the thing we get wrong, it's always about self-work. You look at all the little things and the things you take for granted. You may do something that feels mundane to you, that looks like a superpower from the outside to someone who can't do it or doesn't know how or doesn't have the aptitude for it. I always think about people who cook. I think people who can cook are creative geniuses. And they're like, dude, calm down. It's a bowl of pasta, you know. Um, So I want you to go over your day. Maybe it was yesterday. Pull back to 30,000 feet. And then, you know, start to zoom back in slowly and really jot everything down and track everything down uh, from the moment you got up until you went to bed. And really notice, what are you really accomplishing every day? What are you not giving yourself credit for? The thief of joy, comparison, comparisonitis, you might hear this called. When I started jotting down notes, actually a few months ago for this episode, because I had a series of interviews I wanted to do, and I knew at some point I wanted to do this solo episode about all this stuff, and we were doing all this astrological madness this summer, and I thought, oh yeah, this would be a good time to talk about all the eclipses, and how they were all hitting me, and what I was suffering through, and angsting about. So a couple months ago, I'm, I'm writing notes for the show, pretty much everything that I just talked to you about, and I still didn't feel particularly prolific. I had the the title for the show, Prolific as Fuck, and, uh, you know, because that was the word Lori awarded me, and it represented something that I felt like I didn't deserve. And honestly, as I was preparing to do this episode, I still didn't remotely feel like I earned that word or could own it. Last week, I had an energy clearing and it was a really good session. There were a lot of breakthroughs for me about the self-worth issue that I was experiencing around my writing. And it was like the block in my writing was this glue that was holding me to something that wasn't working and it was making it really impossible for me to put it down. And, you know, I, I maybe I needed to just give myself some kind of permission through someone else. But like with Kim asking me, you know, how many words are you not counting that you deserve credit for? Um, Amanda asked me, if you had three months to live, is this the book that you would keep writing for those three months? And I immediately thought, oh, hell no. Absolutely not. And she said, well, do you know what the book that you would write is? And I immediately knew what it was. I immediately knew. It's something that I've had on my uh, radar in my creative pot simmering away in the background. And the moment she asked me that, and I thought, okay, I've got three months to leave behind something that really matters, something that I really want to write. And I knew exactly what it was. And I, it was weird. 
it's a weird story and there are so many reasons why I kept it on the back burner because everything in marketing and publishing says don't write this book. Um, but I got to tell you about the numbers on the project. So the book I was struggling to write all last year I worked on for 11 months and I got about 50,000 words done on that book. Um, 11 months to do 50,000. Last week, in five days, I wrote 25,000 words. Right? So if you break that down, the project that wasn't working probably took me six months to do 25,000 words. And I just did that in five days. Five days. That's like 90, 100 pages, if it's easier for you to conceptualize. More significantly, you know what it is? It's that 5,000-word goal that Brandon was posting about that I compared myself to and felt like I was so completely incapable of accomplishing. I was recently reunited with my best friend from the last 30 years, Alex, and Alex is one of my greatest creative mentors, truly. Uh, I collaborated with him so much and I learned so much about the way he works that I've applied to the way that I work and the way that I identify myself as a creative person comes from a lot of the strengths that I borrowed from him and, and gleaned over the course of our friendship. And I was texting him about this whole phenomenon last week after I'd written all these words, after they were just spilling out of me, like I can't write them fast enough. I said, I think I'm having my silent all these years moment. I think that book that I was writing this past year was my awful Why Can't Tori Read. It was me and a bad bustier with heavy metal hair trying to be something that I'm not. So to re-answer those questions, you know, what's my light and for whom am I shining it? Um, I don't know. You guys are going to have to tell me if I'm shining it for you because I'm just going to shine it. And it's going to be a little weird. And it's unlike anything else that I've ever written. And I'm so freaking excited about it. And I can see how the feelings and the application of what's different for me now could allow me to produce a whole lot of weird little books. And maybe we'll just say F it and let's make a new genre just for me. Um, maybe it'll never fit and I'll stop trying to make them fit and I'll just be another book by Slade. And the same way that people love um, Tori Amos, you know, download her album the minute it drops. We don't even have to hear it. It's more Tori. We want another dose, right? Making things for the weirdos. So I'm writing a book for the weirdos because I am a weirdo. <laughs> and um, I feel very passionately connected to this project. And I just finally gave myself permission to work on it. And it's crazy how much easier it is to do the thing you've been telling yourself you're not supposed to do. Um, you know, what am I doing differently? Well, you know what? I'm not counting words for fiction anymore. I don't count them for nonfiction. There's too many of them. It's, it's too much work. It, it 
it's too hard to do. It's too time consuming. It takes too long to check that spreadsheet and you know evaluate that. I'm just not doing that anymore. Why would I do it for this one pro- writing project when I don't do it for any of my other writing projects, which are all very relaxed and very successful, and you guys experience them every week. You experience at least one little bit of my writing ability, and maybe you get it in three or four different formats. If you follow me online, you get some more. You know, so um, I'm spouting it out over here, uh, and so I'm just folding the fiction in along with that, and not treating it as something different. Why would I make it different? It only makes it not work. All I was doing was breaking it. The whole point of the word count thing is to be motivating, and it was demotivating me. Why would I do that to myself? I'm just writing the project. I'm just getting it done, same as I do with all the others. And yesterday, you know, I wrote for five hours straight, and I was actually bummed that I had to stop. Today, it's killing me that I had to stop to record this episode. I had to make myself, I had to set a timer, not to make myself write, to make myself stop writing. So today, you know what? I really do feel prolific as fuck. Thanks again for listening to the Shift Your Spirits podcast. For show notes, links, transcripts, and all the past episodes, please visit shiftyourspirits.com. You can subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or whatever app you use to access podcasts. If you'd like to get an intuitive reading with me or download a free ebook and meditation to help you connect with your guides, please go to sladeroberson.com. And if you're interested in my professional intuitive training program, you can start the course for free by downloading the attunement at automaticintuition.com. Before I go, I promise to leave you a message in answer to a question or a concern you may have. So take a moment to think about that. Hold it in your mind or speak it out loud. I'll pause for just a few seconds right now. To whom or to what impossible standard are you comparing yourself? Where have you allowed the thief of joy to work its dark spell on you? Spells only work if you allow them. Think how hard it is to make something happen you want to happen. So why should it be so easy for you to be stopped, slowed down, repressed? A spell of power can be spoken. Affirmations are spells. Be gone, perfectionism. I bind you, comparison, from stealing my joy. This one's for the weirdos, and I'll talk to you later.